Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 60th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, President of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm John Simic, Vice President of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is Hillary Clinton's emails and the looming issue of shadow IT. We're delighted to welcome as today's guest our friend Jason Barron. Jason is of counsel to Drinker, Biddle, and Wreath LLP, practicing in their Information Governance and eDiscovery Group and is co-chair of the Information Governance Initiative, a think tank and vendor-neutral consortium. Previously, he served as Director of Litigation at the National Archives and Records Administration and as a trial attorney and senior counsel at the U.S. Department of Justice. Jason's many honors include the 2013 Justice Tom C. Clark Outstanding Government Lawyer Award given by the Federal Bar Association. Most recently, in connection with the controversy over Hillary Clinton's private email account, he has appeared on Good Morning America, the NBC Nightly News, MSNBC's The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell, CNN, NPR's All Things Considered, and has been quoted in the New York Times, Time Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, and numerous other media outlets. Thanks for joining us today, Jason. Thanks. I'm delighted to be back. Well, we're glad to have you back, Jason. And first and foremost, I think it might be of some interest to our listeners for you to tell us how you were drawn into being quoted in the very first article to break the story about Hillary Clinton's private email network, which was in the New York Times on March 2nd of this year. Uh, Well, Sharon, uh, I actually was drawn into it by a call from Michael Schmidt, who was the reporter who uh, penned the first article that broke the story. And he and I were talking off the record the weekend before, but uh, the story broke on a Monday evening, and um, I gave a quote, uh, which got me uh, noticed, I guess, because I said that it is uh, difficult to conceive, short of nuclear winter, how the State Department could allow Ms. Clinton to exclusively use a private server for the conduct of official business. and. Uh, that led to my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> I think it's still going on. <laughs> well, Jason, we, we know that there have been hundreds of articles on the topic. And I know I've, I've read quite a few of them, and I know Sharon has too, and I'm sure you have. But from your perspective as, as an expert on the federal records keeping, what's your take on whether Ms. Clinton acted inconsistently with her record keeping obligations? Well, what I should have said in response to Sharon's first question is that I had devoted about 25 years of my career to electronic records, email litigation, White House email. And so, uh, you know, it was sort of a natural for the New York Times to to give me a ring, uh, along with others, uh, sort of good government types. Now, I have spent a fair amount of time um, thinking and writing about uh, what has occurred here. Um, The story is still evolving, but... In essence, um, uh, the first thing is is that um, it is not against government policy to use a uh, private email account like Gmail or Yahoo, or even at the extreme uh, set up a private server, although that is highly, highly unusual, uh, especially for a high-level official to do. It's not per se a violation of the Federal Records Act. Um, however, there are obligations on the part of 
all federal employees, whether you're a high official or just a regular employee like I was, uh, to um, make sure that if you are communicating in email or other communications, other media that uh, and other applications that create federal records that are defined under statute as records that are about the transactions of government and uh, government business, you have an obligation to copy them or to move them to an official record-keeping system. So while it wasn't per se a violation uh, from the outset uh, under the records laws, let's put aside security issues for the moment, but under the records laws, um, there were some obligations going forth. And the 2009 narrow regs that were in place during the time that Ms. Clinton was in office, say they are at 36 CFR 1236.22, and they still exist. They say that agencies that allow employees to send and receive official email messages using a system not operated by the agency must ensure, note the word must, must ensure that federal records central received on such systems are preserved in the appropriate agency record-keeping system. And so it was incumbent... It's incumbent on any individual who exits office to make sure that those messages are appropriately preserved. And the regulation does not presume that that obligation uh, it can be delegated to somebody else just because you sent or received uh, messages that you think might be archived somewhere else or saved by someone else. It's everyone's obligation to take steps to ensure that their own messages sent or received on a private system get an appropriate uh, record-keeping system. The, the statute was amended after Ms. Clinton left office in 2014 to put a time limit of 20 days, uh, in effect, for do, doing that. She waited 18 months and eventually did return 30,000 email messages while deleting 30,000 others. The messages that she returned mean that she has now acted consistently with the intent of the 2009 regs to give back to the government official communications, and and certainly uh, that's a very good thing. But I think there are some very troubling issues involving um, access to records under the Freedom of Information Act while she was in office that uh, uh, there were obstacles to for for her having set up a private system. And the entire scheme is so highly unusual as to uh, raise legitimate questions for good government types like myself. It has nothing to do with partisanship. It has nothing to do with political party. Uh, the, the issue is really uh, good government and what we would expect. Uh, and now I have answered that question at length without discussing classified information, so I can anticipate your next question. Well, that's a great segue to my next question, which is about the, the recent hoo-ha about unmarked classified information or maybe classified information that was retroactively marked classified and that was residing on her server. So I'm a little confused with the recent stories and, and what they mean. So can you comment on what those stories and how you're sorting them out? Well, I can, although I must say to everyone listening that I, you know, if I put myself in the SME, subject matter expert category of record keeping, I don't on national security issues. And so while I was a lawyer in government and I did hold a TSSCI clearance, you know, we should uh, put a little caveat there. Now, I, the fact is, is that um, there are rules and regulations in place for uh, ensuring the security of 
uh, highly classified information. And whether information is marked or unmarked, it needs to be secure. And not all information is, uh, that's classified is marked as classified. And so there are legitimate issues about setting up a private server that might not have been cleared uh, by any government uh, IT staff uh, to actually serve as a conduit for sensitive or classified information. Now, as it turns out, there are multiple FOIA lawsuits that are pushing the State Department to essentially go through a D-class exercise now involving a number of agencies of government uh, with equities uh, in the substance of the communications that went back and forth uh, on Ms. Clinton's server. And we have seen reports in the press that at the moment uh, approximately 300 emails have been identified or flagged as potentially having classified information in them. And that number may change over time as more emails out of the 30,000 uh, that she gave back uh, are reviewed. So the process is going forth. There are a lot of stories about the FBI being involved. I think there are serious issues to uh, to work through, and we will know soon what, uh, hopefully soon, uh, what uh, government agencies uh, believe uh, may or may not have happened with respect to the classified information on that server. Well, Jason, from a lot of the news reports, I mean, most people know, at least have heard, that, that Hillary Clinton wasn't, of course, one of the first public figures to use private email for public purposes. But in, in your view, how, how widespread was that practice, and what are the implications for open government? And can you maybe enlighten us a little bit about some of the other famous folks that might have uh, been doing this? Well, it has certainly come to my attention since the first day of the story that others... Uh, both in the federal government and in uh, state and local institutions as well as elsewhere, have from time to time used uh, private services to conduct public business. Um, a survey I did before I keynoted uh, at Nagara Cosa in Austin in July showed that uh, many governors, including Jeb Bush and others, Scott Walker, um, have been involved in communicating by a means of a private email account or private services uh, and, and communicating about official matters. And you can sort of go down the list of governors. There are many that fall into the category of having um, from time to time uh, done so. There is a difference with Ms. Clinton because she was Secretary of State and because of the very high level um, communication she's involved with and the potential for classified information um, being sent or received. But putting that aside, there is this larger set of public figures that, um, that we know. And it's not just uh, federal and, uh, and state. It's also, I was on NPR a couple weeks ago talking about a university chancellor in Illinois who resigned after university business had been conducted on private service. And so what we're seeing is a, an emerging phenomenon with, with really large implications for open government, um, whether it's a public university or a state local government or in the federal government. How do we deal with the fact that the Freedom of Information Act is a vehicle for the public's uh, right to know about what the government's doing? And, and if we're allowing individuals as there are some good arguments for, uh, to, to use all of these sort of private services to communicate, and invariably they, they do so for public business. How do we 
ensure that there's a transparency and openness in uh, in the context of government. Uh, these are vexing issues that have sort of come to the fore with the ability that we all have. We've all been enabled by our CIOs and our IT staff to uh, go to the Internet from our desktop um, and from a variety of mobile devices. Well, you've written before about, I think, the emerging phenomenon that you're talking about is shadow IT. And you were kind enough to send me an article you had written called Beyond BYOD, What Lies in the Shadows. So can you explain to our audience what shadow IT is all about and the dangers it presents? So we've been talking about it, and I was uh, leaving to you the punchline of shadow IT. So the article that you referred to is in the Ethical Boardroom, which is a pretty neat magazine. So if you go to ethicalboardroom.com, I don't get any uh, royalties for saying that, but um, you can take a look at the uh, the summer 2015 edition. And my article's there. Um, the issue is that uh, for a long time, the IT shops in corporations and in government, public, private, universities, have controlled, for the most part, the way that we've communicated. They've set up email networks, and we communicated on those government networks with a .gov account or a .edu account. What has become very much a phenomenon is uh, everyone or many people uh, having access to such services as Gmail or Yahoo, or Dropbox, or Box, or Google Docs, where various companies make it extremely easy to store information and to share it on a collaborative basis and to communicate. And we're all familiar, you know, in our private lives for, for doing so. It now seems obvious in retrospect that if you turn on the these applications, if you allow a portal to individuals sitting in their offices uh, with their desktop or on mobile devices of all kinds, they're going to use it. They're going to use it for efficiency's sake. They're going to communicate the best way they know. In fact, the shiniest new objects uh, sometimes are not the ones that the government uh, gives people, but the ones they have in their own hands. So we have a an intersection here, I know you're going to ask about BYOD and shadow IT. For the bring your own device policies, you have your own device, your own smartphone, your own uh, whatever, where you are both communicating on personal, uh, for personal matters as well as on corporate business or official business. But on the shadow IT side, you have all these applications that you are able to access from the desktop as well as from mobile. So it's not just a BYOD issue. It's a shadow app issue, uh, as I mentioned, uh, for a lot of ways that we store documents and we communicate. And so all of this is not controlled by the IT staff that are sitting in the basement. Um, we are in a cloud world. The IT staff is less and less controlling of the kind of communications that we all are sending out and receiving. And because of that, there are some very important issues uh, that we need to confront as institutions about uh, what it is that we are allowing people to do and, and how do we uh, even attempt to govern uh, the situation that we find ourselves in. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Well, this is normally the spot in our show where we hear words from our sponsors. This potentially represents a unique opportunity for you. Digital Detectives is seeking sponsors. You can hear your advertisement right here. If you're interested, contact the team at Legal Talk Network at info at legaltalknetwork.com.
Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is Hillary Clinton's emails and the looming issue of shadow IT. Our guest is Jason Barron. Jason is of counsel to Drinker, Biddle, and Wreath, LLP, practicing in their information governance and e-discovery group. And he is also co-chair of the Information Governance Initiative, a think tank and vendor-neutral consortium. So, Jason, what recommendations do you have for organizations that are now confronting the fact that their employees are much more than occasionally using what you call shadow IT applications and practices? Well, of course, one um, possibility, which I think is disfavored, is to essentially prohibit uh, individuals from going to the Internet. That shuts down the ability to use um, such services as Gmail or Google Docs. I think uh, many institutions would face a mutiny on their hands if they actually (laughs) attempted uh, to do that, although in some cases, in some extreme settings, that might be the way to to block. Uh, But of course, uh, individuals have their own devices, and they will invariably um, find ways around uh, such policies. The first uh, point here is that one needs to step back and develop a robust information governance policy that covers the emergence of shadow IT in the workplace. And uh, the policy should really address do's and don'ts when it comes to handling company information about encrypting emails where appropriate, uh, about not uploading confidential company information to public cloud storage, and a variety of concerns that sort of go to security, data security, and privacy issues. The second is that you need to educate employees that really um, that the corporation or the institution, public, private, uh, really does have obligations to some external stakeholders, uh, whether it's because of regulatory compliance issues or because of Freedom of Information Act laws, uh, that demand that official communications be uh, copied or migrated into an official record-keeping system. The National Archives Reg says that for federal employees and their uh, state uh, counterparts. And so employees need to understand that when uh, for you know goodwill, they're they're communicating for reasons of efficiency and because they uh, they need to for exigency, for whatever reasons that they really do need to take an extra step to make sure that those communications are uh, captured uh, in an official record keeping system. Uh, there may be IT solutions uh, that can be put into effect uh, to better protect company information. Companies can make devices easier to use so that uh, copying of information can take place. Uh, Companies need to look at their policies and periodically reevaluate them uh, to make sure that they're keeping up with the latest technologies that individuals use. And the one thing in the article that I, I emphasized is practice what you preach. And I said to the executives in the C suite reading this article, if you won't do it, they won't do it. Use your own shadow IT practices as a bellwether for what will work best with your company's culture. I think we we all need at senior levels of an organization to set a good example for everyone else. And those are uh, some ideas. I'm sure listeners may have others. Uh, this is, however, not an issue that could be solved with a, a three-page policy statement. It really does take an engagement on the part of the C-suite. Uh, to uh, to think through what uh, the culture of an organization is and what should uh, work in any particular workplace. So, Jason, how do you see these these issues that we've been discussing with all this shadow IT and and these rogue employees that are doing all their own thing out there? And how does that play against 
the, the larger backdrop of information governance? Well, I'm glad you asked that, John. Uh, I, uh, as you know, um, and what you said is that I have the privilege of co-chairing something called the Information Governance Initiative. And we, uh, Barclay Blair, Bennett Borden, and others uh, that are associated with this initiative, all of our sponsors, we are trying to engage in a, a smart dialogue in the space. For example, we in May this year, we had a summit in Chicago for chief information governance officers, and people were card-carrying business cards with uh, information governance in their titles. And so it seems to us that we need champions for information governance. We need people to step up in institutions, public and private, and say, we need policies. We need to look at the new technologies that exist. We need to integrate what's going on in the area of access under the public records laws, as well as privacy and security considerations, and essentially take a holistic look at the big data environment we're in. We're not just in records anymore. We're in a data world, in a big data world, and we need people to be champions inside of institutions. And so the Information Governance Initiative has been pushing the idea of a chief IG officer. It doesn't have to be that title, but somebody needs to step up and perform that function. And so well, I'm, I'm very proud of the, the papers we're pushing out and the uh, dialogue we're having, and we're, you know, we'll continue to do so um, with respect to IG issues. Jason, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions here in, in a row. The first one is, it seems to me that I've been, I've been hearing about Hillary Clinton and her emails and that server more and more and more, and it doesn't seem like that's going anywhere. Um, does this seem to you like at least something that is going to continue to dog her? Well, I don't have a crystal ball with respect to politics. I do know that um, I'm personally delighted when I wake up in the morning and I see the Federal Records Act on television and um, <laughs> in the New York Times. I mean, really, this is a this is a wake up call for the kind of issues that I have been uh, talking about, lecturing about for you know a couple of decades. And so it's exciting to hear people talk about the 2009 regs versus the 2014 amendments and what it all means, um, at least to some of us. But more seriously, it does function as a call. When when leaders of agencies in the federal government see the kind of controversy that email can uh, be uh, is all about, controversies that can be generated by email, if they hadn't known before, they certainly know now uh, that uh, these are issues that really need attention. And so while the world is filled with you know, very large problems. One issue for government is sort of uh, making sure that, at least in this country, we have an open government and that we have uh, good practices in place that keeps it informed citizenry close to what's going on in terms of government activities. And so it's a very important issue for history's sake to get this right. It's not just one individual. It's every executive government and every employee in government to, to make sure that that uh, we are preserving the records of this nation. So that's in the, on the public side. And it's a wake-up call on the private sector, too, because the shadow IT practices are not just a public phenomenon. It's a private a corporation phenomenon as well, and many are regulated and audited, and there are concerns uh, about what can be done sort of off the books uh, with respect to communications networks. And so it's it's a wake-up call for everyone. Well, let, let me ask you a follow-up question to that, and, and I think that there's maybe some misunderstanding uh, by the public at large 
one of the issues that has come up is the fact that after Ms. Clinton turned over all the emails, she then had her server wiped. As far as I can tell, there's nothing illegal about wiping that server once all the emails were turned over. Would you agree with that? Okay, so I'm going to give a lawyerly answer to that, which is it depends. <laughs> and I think um, Ms. Clinton has the better of the argument with respect to sort of normal practice, which is that uh, under the 2014 amendments to the Federal Records Act, uh, when you're communicating on a private system, the official or the employee that has done that uh, in the first instance is expected to move those communications to an appropriate record-keeping system. And so the entire statutory scheme relies on the good faith of individuals to make choices as to what's personal and what's not. The official would be migrated or copied to a a record-keeping system, and the personal could be uh, left behind and deleted uh, at will. That is sort of in the normal case. Now, there are some particular circumstances here that would caution uh, perhaps different answers, and I don't presume to uh, act as, as Ms. Clinton's lawyer. She has very good lawyers in place, but there were a set of circumstances that certainly raised eyebrows given the uh, notoriety of the issues at stake, the Benghazi Committee, various subpoenas that may or may not have been out there or anticipated as to whether or not it was a uh, a good idea to to delete uh, half of the emails in her possession. But I don't want to step over into a different swimming lane here. I really want to keep with what is in the normal course. The statute allows her to have done that. So to answer your question, it is not per se illegal. But would I have advised her to do it? Uh, that's a different question, and um, and that um, we can uh, we can talk offline about. <laughs> and I do thank you for answering that because, as you know, John and I are very animated on the subject of politics and we're usually on opposing sides of the fence. So you've given me dinnertime conversation for tonight. Thank you, Jason. Well, well Jason, like, it cracks me up, too. I mean, you get all excited over the Federal Records Act and Sharon and I get all excited over data breaches and security issues. So I guess each of us needs to get a life here. But <laughs> tell us a little bit about the uh, the InfoGov conference that's coming up at the end of uh, September 2015 in Hartford. I think our listeners would like to hear about that. So uh, this year, the Information Governance Initiative is running uh, the InfoGovCon, as we call it, and everyone can go to InfoGovCon, C-O-N dot com, and uh, take a look. It's a conference over three days. There's a half day on September 29th, a full day on September 30th, and half day on October 1 in Hartford, Connecticut, at the Convention Center. What uh, Barkley Blair has done is really quite remarkable. He crowdsourced a, a couple of dozen possible topics and selected the ones that were the most popular. And we have been attempting to fill in the spots and get really good speakers, not just the usual suspects from the discovery world, but uh, people who represent data science and other disciplines, all of whom uh, have something to say about information governance, which, of course, is an umbrella term for a whole variety of not just record-keeping, but privacy, security, access, analytics, and the like. And so... We think we're going to have a great uh, gathering of people that from uh, across a number of disciplines, and we're excited about um, having people show up in Hartford. So to everyone listening, um, please uh, consider uh, coming to this conference. I think it will be a really good experience. 
Well, good luck at the conference. Have a ball. And thank you again for joining us today, Jason. It's always wonderful to talk with you, and you always have uh, terrific thoughts to share with the audience. And this, of course, has been a burning issue, and, and the issue of shadow IT certainly needs a lot more light shed on it. So I thank you for being with us. Thank you, Sharon and Sean. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and security services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.